0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, should Christians be practicing laying on of hands? Coming up in this episode... The act of laying on of hands is a powerful and dramatic Christian experience. It's described as being able to bring healing, summon the Holy Spirit, impart blessing, and proclaim authority to its recipient. That's a lot of power. But is it based on truth? Does this ritual belong in our churches? Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie.
1: Welcome everyone, I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. Good to be here. And Julie, a longtime CQ contributor, is also with us.
2: Hi, I'm happy to be with you.
1: Jonathan, what's our theme scripture for today's episode?
0: 1 Timothy 4.14 Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery.
1: In the 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth, Christianity has in some ways developed and in many ways fragmented. Depending on the doctrine or ritual you're looking at, you can find groups that have a laser focus on it or a minimized approach to it. The early Christian ritual of the laying on of hands is a good example of this discrepancy. Some of us centralize its importance and others of us see it as a thing of the past. If laying on of hands was central, then why was it not used consistently? If it was of little significance, then why would it have been used at all? The fact is, the act of laying on of hands was clearly present in the Old Testament, and the apostles did plainly use this ritual several times. Okay, so what is the bottom line application of laying on of hands for Christians living now?
2: And the laying on of hands is a religious practice done throughout the Christian world by Roman Catholicism, the Eastern Orthodox Church, Baptists, Pentecostals, Mormons, and others. It's a physical act used for various purposes, like formally ordaining clergy, faith healing, to give blessings, to invoke the Holy Spirit. So Rick and Jonathan, is this scriptural? And if so, is it required for Christians? Should we be doing it?
1: All right. Is it scriptural? Yes. Is it required for questions? It's coming. The answer is coming. We've got to develop the subject. In the the letter to the Hebrews, we're shown that laying on of hands is an elementary teaching. So why is it pointed out here as an elementary teaching and no place else as as being basic? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2.
0: Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and
1: the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So what's being spoken of here are fundamental Christian ideals. Now, these fundamental ideals did have a basis in Judaism, and so they were recognizable to the Jewish Christians. And remember, Christianity started with Jewish people only. It expanded to Gentiles later. So what the Apostle is saying in this, in this uh, letter to the Hebrews is he's showing these fundamental Christian ideals that were very, very recognizable through Judaism. Several, several points of these scriptures. Julie, let's start with the first one.
2: Well, he talked about repentance, and repentance from a sinful life is a commonly taught New Testament basis for Christianity.
0: The second point, faith towards God is repeatedly taught as foundational, throughout all scripture
2: and it talked about washings which refers to christian baptism and this is clarified several times in the new testament as really a symbolic starting point for christians and just a side note baptism is such a comprehensive topic and there's many types of baptism it's at the beginning of christianity like being baptized with the holy spirit at pentecost so for more on this listen to episode 1061 how many baptisms are there
0: The the last point, the resurrection and judgment are explained in many places throughout the New Testament.
1: So we can see that the other things mentioned in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 are very, very often repeated. And you look at them and say, wow, they're, they're just the basis of Christianity. Now, the laying of hands doesn't seem to fit with these other doctrines, because it seems like it has it, it, it feels different. It wasn't taught as something necessary for all, as we shall see in Scripture, but it was just done as an action. So, what of that? How, how, how come there's that discrepancy? As we develop that, uh, we want to look at one caution about laying on of hands in the New Testament. It's going to be from 1 Timothy five twenty two, and we're going to come back to this later on in the podcast.
0: Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily, and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin.
1: So, again, we're going to come back to that text later, but we've got these basic principles here. And, you know, the the bottom line is the Old Testament perspective of laying on of hands that we're going to be talking about shows authority in some way or other. And that principle, that principle of authority that comes from God needed to be carried over, transferred to the New Testament, to the body of Christ, because it was a very different teaching, even though it was built off of Judaism. So we need to see how laying on of hands fits into this whole thing. We're going to take a quick view of Old Testament practices of laying on of hands.
2: You know, it sounds like then to the Jewish people, they're going to see this as a symbol of, you said, authority, like a legitimate authority to bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament, which is what they needed to do. Because the Christian faith, of course, is founded upon Jewish beliefs and practices. So this would be something familiar to them.
1: Right, right. Okay, so Julie, let's go to the the Old Testament basis.
2: So we looked up McClintock and Strong's Cyclopedia, and under their classification of biblical uses, it says this, more particularly, the imposition of hands in the Old Testament may be divided into three categories, and they use some fancy words here. They say one, the patriarchal, typical, laying on of hands in blessing, two, the legal symbolical in consecration to office, and three, the prophetico-dynamical in healing. Well, these are some fancy words for blessing, showing authority, and healing.
1: Yeah, there you go. Thank you for that. Blessing, showing authority, and healing. Let's take, an, take a look at a quick example of each one of those. The Old Testament laying on of hands for blessing. And again, we're setting a foundation to see where laying on of hands will fit in the New Testament. Jonathan, laying on of hands for blessing, Genesis 48, 14.
0: But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. Well, Rick, when Jacob blessed his grandsons, his right hand offered the highest blessing, right?
1: Yeah, and that's why he crossed his hands, because he was changing it from the firstborn. So you can see, laying out of hands for blessing. Let's look at laying out of hands for consecration or or. Or uh, preparation to office and for the offering of a sacrifice. Let's look at Jonathan Numbers chapter 8, verses 9 through 12. So you shall present
0: the Levites before the tent of meeting. You shall also assemble the whole congregation of the sons of Israel and present the Levites before the Lord. And the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Aaron then shall present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the sons of Israel so they may qualify to perform the service of the Lord. Now the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of bulls, then offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. Well, Rick, it's interesting. The people first
1: laid their hands on the priests which sanctioned them to lead. Yeah, and it was the people, the congregation of the people that laid their hands on them. And then, of course, you have the laying on of the hands of the priesthood on the animal to transfer the sin to the animal for sacrifice. So you can see the sanctity and the importance of laying on of hands in the Old Testament. And that third point, uh, or one of the three points of the, the, uh, the Old Testament uses of laying on of hands was that of healing. Julie, what, what kind of example do we have for that?
2: Well, there's also that account of Elisha healing the Shunammite son in 2 Kings 4. We won't read the passage, but that's what what McClintock and Strong quotes as the prophetico-dynamical in healing classification. So so there you go.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, So what we have are clear-cut examples of laying on of hands from the Old Testament, and that sets a foundation. Because remember, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, was written to Jewish Christians. They had... This background and this was very very understandable to them. Let's jump ahead now to Jesus. Jesus himself continues this Old Testament approach by laying hands on others. We're going to take a look at a couple of different things, actually three different things. Uh, And let's start with his demonstration of the blessing aspect of laying on of hands with the little children. And this this is to me this is a very touching scripture. Uh, Jonathan, Mark chapter ten verses thirteen to sixteen. And they were bringing
0: children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them,
1: laying his hands on them. And that's such a tender picture of the blessing of the innocence of the children by our Master himself. So you can see he takes that blessing aspect and he applies it very, very plainly. Let's look at another example of Jesus. He demonstrated the healing aspect of laying out of hands several times, but we're going to focus on the one event at the house of Simon, uh, as well as we've mentioned several other places. Uh, Jonathan, Luke chapter 4, verse 40. While
0: the sun was setting,
1: all those who had any who
0: were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them.
2: Yeah, so Jesus is is laying on hands to heal, but he didn't always physically touch the people he healed. Right. He performed long distance healings, even where he's not even in the room with the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, the centurion servant, and Capernaum officials' son. Capernaum officials' son. So laying on of hands wasn't required here.
1: Yeah, and we're going to expand that dramatically as we go through, but that's a, that's an important point. But Jesus still did it, and I think he intentionally did it, as a carryover to show authority, just like it had been shown in the Old Testament. For the third aspect, we have looked at the healing aspect, we looked at the blessing aspect. What about the conferring of authority aspect? Well, in a very symbolic way, and I want to stress this is a very symbolic way— Jesus led the apostles to a demonstration of the consecration, the, 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 the setting themselves apart for, for God's work, the, the dedication to office, by clearly preparing them for God's Spirit. Remember, he said God's Spirit was going to come to them, and that would give him, them authority. While Jesus would not be there to pronounce the leadership of the eleven, because he's in heaven, so he's not physically present, the Spirit itself would make it obvious. So let's drop in and look at how Jesus explains what's going to happen. Jonathan, let's start with Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5.
0: Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from
1: now. Okay, so he tells them that. Uh, before his ascension. And of course, he's going to ascend, and then there's 10 days, and then Pentecost will come. But he's telling them, stay in Jerusalem, because this is what's going to happen. And then at the point of his ascension, here's what he says, Luke 24, 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his
0: hands and blessed them.
1: So you see him lifting up his hands and blessing them. And the scripture literally says that, essentially, as he's doing this, he is then taken up to heaven. So you've got a very strong uh, picture developing here where Jesus is lifting up his hands in blessing as he is ascending to heaven. So, and
2: so then at Pentecost, at Pentecost, we continue with oh, Acts
0: 2-3. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them.
2: Okay, so I see what you're trying to do here. So in a way, Jesus raises hands, right, and now the Holy Spirit would rest upon the disciples, completing the motion with maybe an indirect laying on of hands. That's interesting
1: because the Spirit came to rest upon them, mm-hmm.
2: just that like completes
1: with, it, right? So you 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 raise the hands, and the Spirit itself gives them authority because they now have God's direction built right within them.
2: Mm-hmm. So, but Rick, we all want to be Christ-like. Yes. If Jesus blessed people in this way, shouldn't we be doing that as well?
1: You know, that's a, that's a great question, and we do want to be Christ-like. But you know what? We're not capable of doing things th- the way he did. We're not capable of conferring blessing the way he did. We are capable of communicating with and fellowshipping with and co-laboring with and encouraging but no, we're, we're not capable of doing what our master did uh, on earth. Remember, he was filled with God's Spirit, and he was the master. So we've got to look at that with a, with a sense of awe and respect and say, what do we learn from it? What can we take from it? So, Jonathan, let's take a look at um, lessons learned from the laying on of hands. We've had an introduction here. What do we have so far?
0: Well, this activity had a strong Jewish background and was used regarding godly blessings, appointments, and actions. Jewish Christians clearly recognized its significance and authority. Jesus followed in the Jewish pattern with an even higher focus. His use of laying on of hands was yet another bridge between the Old and the New Testaments.
1: And so what we want to do is understand that we have a basis in in, in the Old Testament— And Jesus himself brings that basis to the New Testament, and that makes us pay close attention. So, the laying on of hands has a rich heritage in the way God deals with us. We need to pay attention to these lessons.
0: With such clear Jewish laying on of hands groundwork, do we get a
1: consistent usage of it in the New Testament? That's a good question. And as we shall see, the short answer is no. We don't get a consistent usage of it. The New Testament lacks consistent application of the practice. What we do have standing in the place of consistency is variety. The several instances in which laying on of hands is used spans several aspects of the things necessary to establish the legitimacy of Christianity. So as we develop this, the whole point is Looking at laying out of hands as a basic fundamental introduction to establish the leg- legitimacy of Christianity.
2: Okay, so we're going to look at three examples where this laying of hands is used to show that authority, uh, let's uh, show to prove that authority. The first example is this the establishing of deacons in the church. The apostles were overworked trying to care for the physical and spiritual needs of everyone, especially the widows. So they told the brotherhood something special in Acts 6, three to six.
0: Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid hands on, on all of them. And the word for laid
1: means to impose in a friendly or hostile sense. Okay, and you say to impose. That sounds imposing. It sounds overwhelming. It sounds powerful, and it is powerful. But like you said Jonathan, the definition is in a friendly or a hostile sense. So when you impose your hands upon something, you're 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 showing your agreement, or your authority behind whatever it is. So it can be a very respectful imposition. So we want to make sure we understand that as we go through this. So the laying on of hands was used here by the apostles. Remember, they're, they're putting these seven deacons in place. It's used here by the apostles to publicly demonstrate the acceptance of a decision that the whole congregation made, and the responsibility given to those who are being separated out for a specific uh, service. So you have the apostles using something that this Jewish Christian group would very easily and clearly represent. They're laying their hands on them after fasting and praying to show these are the individuals sanctioned for this specific work.
2: So does this mean we're supposed to do this in our local churches to decide who's going to serve us? Is the congregation supposed to lay their hands on our clergy?
1: Good question. And I think that what we need to do, like with everything, is look to see, well, what kind of answer do the Scriptures give us? Because one of the mistakes we can easily make is see something written in Scripture and say, oh, I should do that. But that's not necessarily the case. And this is one of those cases. No, I don't think that the Scriptures at all teach that congregations should be doing that. But the Scriptures do establish—but what this did, I'm sorry, is it established the need for such servants through the apostolic authority of saying, here's what we're doing and we're laying our hands on them. But we, as Christians, are given a different way to choose that has a similarity but a very specific difference. Jonathan, let's look at Acts 14, verses 21 to 23.
0: After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. When they had appointed elders for, from, for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now the word translated appointed means to be a hand reacher or voter. By raising the hand. And simply, the congregation elected their spiritual leaders from within their church. There's a great episode on this topic, episode 1140, Does My Church Leadership Have It Right? Go to our free Christian Questions app or christianquestions.com
1: and enter in the search bar 1140. So we have a principle put in place for us scripturally, and we have a principle put in place, we're supposed to follow it. When we have an example, we're supposed to learn from it. So the principle put in place is the raising of the hand. It's not laying on of hands. There's a similarity, but there's also a specific difference. We follow these the, these uh, these principles given to us, and we learn from the examples uh, of what was happening in the establishment of Christianity. So, Jonathan, we've got this this appointing of deacons, and then this looking at electing officers within our Christian churches, lessons learned from the laying on of hands. What do we have so far with this segment?
0: While the literal laying on of hands established servanthood within the brotherhood, it did not remain a necessary process. The voting we are still instructed to do does express
1: an imposition of the hand and will of the voter. By raising your hand, it's that imposing in a positive way saying, I am in favor of this. So it still has to do with the hand, but it's not laying on of hands. Why? Because this is how we follow through on what was done to establish. Deacons were established by the laying on of hands. We follow through by the voting process. Julie, what's our next example?
2: So the second example of laying on of hands showing legitimacy is when Simon the magician wants to pay for the power to lay hands on others to give them the Holy Spirit. And his account begins in Acts 8-9, and it's definitely worth reading for homework. But Simon had become a believer after hearing Philip preach the gospel in Samaria. People were responding to Philip's teachings, but they weren't getting the Holy Spirit. So the apostles Peter and John get dispersed, they call called to that area. We pick up the account while they are praying in Acts 8, 17 to 21.
0: Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. The word for laying on is a little different. It means an imposition of hands officially.
1: Okay, and now this, this comes from the previous word, so it's the same basic idea, the imposition, the imposing, the putting forth of authority, and so that's an important aspect of this. Why laying on of hands here? Why, why is, the, is Simon saying, oh, I want, I want this gift, man. I'll pay you for it, because this is really cool. I can give the Holy Spirit to other people. And this is talking about the begettal of the Spirit, so the Spirit indwells in individuals. Laying on of hands here was publicly used by the apostles to open individuals up to receive the Holy Spirit. See, now that's an important point, but it's not necessarily a point that you can say, okay, that means it always has to happen this way, as we shall see.
0: The Holy Spirit can be a confusing subject. For more on this, we recommend listening to episode 946. How can I get the Holy Spirit? What the Holy Spirit is, what it does, who gets it, and why? And episode 1188. Do I have the purpose of the Holy Spirit backwards? Hmm. Distinguishing God's power from our own desires in our daily life, search ChristianQuestions.com or the Christian Questions app, by the episode number to find the audio
2: and we also recommend our two-minute animated cq kids video series that's great for adults as well we have over a 100 titles on christianquestions.com youtube search for our most popular title of all kind what is the holy spirit as well as how do christians receive the holy spirit we have lots of resources for your continued study Um, But I've got a question. So does this mean that we're supposed to lay our hands on people who have accepted Jesus so that they can receive the Holy Spirit? If the apostles did it shouldn't we be doing it too?
1: See, and that's a question that continually comes up. Well, I see it in Scripture. Doesn't that mean I should do it? No, it does not necessarily mean we should do it. I'm not an apostle. Neither are you, just like the question before. We're not Jesus. We don't have his authority. We don't have the authority of the apostles. What this did is it established apostolic authority, which incidentally is not something that Each and every one of us has, okay? It it established the apostolic authority and the power and the selectivity of who God's spirit would be given to. So there's a very strong establishment here through the apostles, not through the average person.
2: So you're saying there's no scripture that's saying you, through the authority of God, have the same authority that the apostles did— in order to lay your hands on someone and accomplish what they did. That's we have no the, scriptural basis for that's it.
1: That's right. And if we have no scriptural basis for it, and we say we should do it, we're making up a tradition. So let's be clear. We don't want to be in that category of making up traditions. Just because an apostle did it doesn't mean I can do it. Period. Okay. End of statement. Okay? Um, so so let, let, let's continue, Julie.
2: Yeah, let's go to our third example. This is interesting. This is the Apostle Paul laid hands on believers at Ephesus who had been baptized into John's baptism of repentance. So when Paul finds them, he's going to teach them further in Acts 19, 5 to 7.
0: And they heard this. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men. Well, laying on of hands was used primarily by the apostles, And those appointed by them, Jewish converts would have an understanding of the laying on of hands as a symbol of authority.
2: Sure, that makes sense. So, like we said, it's only the apostles, though, who could miraculously bestow the Holy Spirit. And they did it either by laying on hands or at times they didn't even have to touch people. But that's right. It's just the apostles who got that piece of it.
1: Yeah. Now there is one exception, potentially. Okay, now that we just went through this whole thing,
2: I just had it down, and now you're telling me there's an exception. Well, <laughs> hang on for the, hang
1: on for the next segment because it's a fascinating, wonderful account that that puts things. It just helps us to understand the the real importance of laying on of hands as in very specific circumstances. But yes, bottom line, it is it is a thing for the apostles. Now, so let's let's go to an opposite experience because you know you have to ask the question. Okay. Is, does it Do the apostles always bring the Holy Spirit? And no, the opposite experience also happened. Peter traveled to see Cornelius, who would become the first Gentile convert to Christianity. Upon meeting Cornelius and his household, Peter preached Jesus to them. So it's a long account. We're going to drop in right in the middle, after they've exchanged their greetings and, and the visions that they had and coming together, and we're going to drop in and see what happens here in relation to the Holy Spirit coming upon them, Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48.
0: While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one could refuse the water for these to be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Well, Peter didn't lay hands on Cornelius at all, according to the scripture. He didn't touch him. So
2: do we think that there's no laying of hands here because this wasn't a Jewish audience? These Gentiles wouldn't have had any background in laying on of hands from an Old Testament understanding like you were talking about before. So Maybe it's good in this case that the miracle didn't come through Peter and instead had a heavenly sign.
1: Well, and I think that's true, and I think that there's even more to it than that. There, you didn't have the Jewish audience that would have had the understanding. But further, this was not about apostolic authority. Okay. Nor was it about any public demonstration, because we've seen that also in, in the previous scriptures of the power of the gospel. This was about Gentiles coming to Christ for the very first time, and God's plan was to make it clear that God himself drove the expansion of this calling through the Lord Jesus and through the Lord Jesus alone. Peter was simply the messenger, and it was made very clear that Peter spoke the words And God, through Christ, from heaven, gave the Spirit. Peter is the messenger. They can look up to him, and they learn from him, but it's important to have that distinction of what happened here. So it's a a wonderful example, but it shows that you didn't have to lay hands on somebody for them to get the Holy Spirit. And that's why we say it's not consistent in the New Testament. And just because it's not consistent doesn't mean it's not important. We're going to expand on that and its importance and its very specific place as we go further. So, so Jonathan, what's our lesson learned from the laying on of hands when we look at the, the the in relation look at it in relation to the Holy Spirit?
0: While the literal laying on of hands was sometimes used to open some to receive the spirit by the apostles, it clearly was not a consistent necessity. We know God begets whoever he calls and accepts with his spirit. The examples of apostolic authority remind us of the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ was first and foremost delivered to the world through the apostles. Well, Rick, is apostolic authority the same as apostolic succession, which is
1: practiced in the Catholic Church and the Church of England? Okay, those are two very different things. And we see apostolic authority thoroughly and clearly expressed and taught in the New Testament. There is zero scriptural evidence of apostolic succession. And we have to be really careful when we start to go down roads like that because we think just because they did it means we can't. No, that's not what the scriptures tell us. So we need to be careful about that. Those are very, very different things. And we believe one, apostolic authority is scriptural, two, apostolic succession is not. So, This is is a big, big, big subject here as we expand it. Even if laying on of hands is not for the common Christian use, as we're discovering, the examples we see are still truly inspiring. Are there
0: deeper lessons to learn in the exploration of healing through the laying on of hands?
1: The act of healing, both in the Bible and in the world, is a massive subject. We can affirmatively say that the Christian healing in the early church was clearly miraculous. However, there is mounting scientific evidence of the healing power of touch. While this is completely different than biblical healing, it is worthy of notice. So, Julie, let's look at this aspect of the healing power of touch just for a few minutes.
2: I think we all understand that we've been affected by COVID-19 and the things that make us most human are personal interactions with each other, being able to physically touch. This has been taken away and putting our hands on someone's shoulders, hugging, holding hands. These can be very calming and loving. And anyone who's had a massage to relieve stress can attest to the power of touch and, and how much better you feel. Our skin God created our skin with millions of receptors that send messages to the brain. And touch is known to reduce heart rates, lower blood pressure, reduce stress levels. And it's well known that babies in uh, orphanages, when they're not held, they have a greater number of behavioral problems and they don't grow to their expected height and weight. This is just how we are made. We are tactile. Touch is important.
0: Well, when my wife and I get together with cloth close friends from church, we do hold hands to pray at mealtime. We become connected in a very physical and emotional way, and, and it's very moving to us.
1: It is. And, and Jonathan and Julie, you've both been to my mom's house for Sunday dinner. And legendary. It, it is <laughs> legendary. So much way.
2: spaghetti is served, it, you wouldn't believe. You know, so many people. Yeah, there's so many people.
1: massive table and a, and a space in the middle when there's extra people to fit them in the middle. But when we have the prayer for the meal, everybody holds hands because it is that connecting. So that is an important aspect of things, and we don't want to minimize that. But that's not what the scriptures are talking about when we look at the laying on of hands. It's a very different kind of thing. So having acknowledged that, let's go back to the scriptures and tr- try and continue to understand how laying on of hands works f- worked then and where the lessons fit now. Again, we know that Jesus healed by laying on of hands. So we're going to be taking a look at healing specifically in this segment, Mark chapter 6, verse 5.
0: And he could do no miracle there in Nazareth, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them.
1: So Jesus did a lot of healing by a lot of laying on of hands. And we also know that he certainly did not need the gesture of laying on of hands to heal. Mark 5.34 is about a woman who had this hemorrhage of blood, and if you remember the, the the account, she comes up and she touches the hem of his garment, and here's what Jesus says to her.
0: And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well.
1: Go in peace and be healed of your infliction. He didn't touch her. She touched the hem of his garment. It shows us that while he often did heal by laying his hands on individuals, he often did not need the laying on of hands to heal so it shows us that there's not a consistency there is a there there's the practice but it certainly isn't consistent so that's a little bit of a review on jesus where do we go from here
2: well i'd ask you if only the apostles could bring the holy spirit Uh, through the laying on of hands or otherwise, you said there's maybe one exception. Well, I think I might know what you mean. There's one very unique New Testament example of laying on of hands that seems to capture both the healing, bringing the Holy Spirit, and that third point, recognizing the authority being given to the individual. And that's Ananias, who had a vision of Jesus who told him to seek out Saul of Tarsus and lay hands on him. And Ananias was a little confused and probably a little afraid of Saul, who had been severely persecuting Christians. And while Ananias was not an apostle, though, his authority came directly through instructions from the resurrected Jesus. Such an interesting account here in Max, uh, sorry, Acts 9, 13 to 18.
0: But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how
1: much he must suffer for my name's sake. So, so let's pause there for a moment because it's interesting. Ananias, Julie, like you said, he's worried. Lord, you sure you have the right Saul of Tarsus? Because this guy is bad news for us because he causes suffering. That's what Ananias is essentially saying. Notice what Jesus says in return. He says, "I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake." He turned the suffering backwards and basically said to was saying to Ananias. I know what I'm doing. He will suffer for me the way you have had to suffer for me at his hands. That changes the way Ananias can see this whole event. So let's pick up with uh, verse 17.
0: So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was
1: baptized. So Jesus in this vision had told Ananias to lay his hands on Saul of Tarsus. So Ananias had this unique privilege of healing, baptizing, and recognizing Saul of Tarsus as a chosen instrument of Jesus. The laying on of hands here was to exhibit the authenticity of of Saul of Tarsus's call, first to Saul himself, who was this Pharisee of Pharisees. It gave an authenticity, because he is this Pharisee of Pharisees. He understood the law. It then, the laying on of hands, verified it to Ananias, who's the messenger. And then later, it also verified it to the entire body of Christ, because Saul of Tarsus would have been a suspicious individual, but you have this extra authority attached to the whole experience.
2: Having the laying on of hands here makes a lot of sense because Saul, as that Pharisee of Pharisees, is going to be well-versed in Jewish law and customs, and he's blind at this point, but he would feel the laying on of hands and recognize that as a conveying authority as coming from God, as this, you know, as with his Jewish background. And notice Jonathan read, he sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It continued with, he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. So we aren't specifically told whether or not he received the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands, but we know he was at least healed.
0: And and this shows the validity of Paul's appointment as an apostle. The other 11 apostles had the spirit come to rest upon them at Pentecost. Jesus commands Ananias to be the instrument of the spirit resting on him, just like the others. For more on Paul's apostleship, Listen to episode 1113, Paul or Matthias, who was the twelfth apostle? Again, that's episode 1113.
1: Yeah, so so this is really a dramatic example, and in my mind, of all of the laying on of hands examples in the New Testament, this is the most dramatic, because it entails so many things. And you're right, we don't know if he received the Holy Spirit immediately in relation to the laying on of hands, but the laying on of hands certainly opened the door for those things to happen. And that tells us something specific about something new, something different, a new authority, a new apostle was being brought to the fore and needed to be recognized. That is why we have the laying on of hands here. So let's go to now another example of healing, because here's an example of healing with Ananias laying his hands on the apostle Paul. That was very specific. Paul, in this other example, now Paul will be the one laying on of hands, laying hands, rather. He is being sent to Rome as a prisoner, And was shipwrecked. He and all on board survived the shipwreck, and they all swam to the island of Malta. They were therefore there cared for by Publius, a leading citizen of that island. So we're going to drop in again in the middle of an account, Acts chapter 28, verses 8 and 9.
0: And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured.
1: Okay, so again, here we have the laying on of hands for healing. Why? Why here? Well, perhaps to physically show the authority of the apostle to these people who likely didn't even know anything about the gospel. They live on this island, and it's a very, very close society, essentially.
2: Yeah, but they're not Jewish, so why is there the laying of hands necessary? Why wouldn't it just come from, like, miraculously out of heaven?
1: And I think that's a good question, because we were saying, you know, it's a, it's, it's a symbol especially for those with a Jewish background, like our original scripture in Hebrews was, was indicating. And I think the answer to that would be to show them that this was something that didn't come from their gods. Remember, the people of that time had all kinds of gods for all kinds of things, and it's verifying that when Jesus, uh, when well, I'm sorry, when the Apostle Paul prays and lays his hands on and heals this individual, it verifies the source comes from this Jesus who Paul was talking about. It couldn't come from the gods. It came from a very specific source. So again, laying on of hands was to show the, the where the authority comes from. So that's an that example. Okay, so that's an example of the Apostle Paul laying on hands to heal. What what's next? Well, on
2: the other side of the issue, you've got the Apostle Peter demonstrated a clear authority that did not need laying on of hands, as his reputation and the gospel, in this case, were well established in Acts 5, 14 to 16.
0: This is from the New King James Version. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Well, it's interesting. Peter followed the pattern of Jesus for healing.
1: He did. And you know, it's interesting that it says, and they were all healed. How many times in Jesus' ministry does it say, and they were all healed? You had that pattern, but you don't have the laying on of hands. So it's not a necessary thing. It shows up in certain circumstances only. And folks, as we keep coming up with that conclusion, because it's a scriptural conclusion, we have to look at laying on of hands very, very carefully and say, there's something different about this. It's still important. But it's different. It's showing us an authority that the Old Testament had to to show that God was with them. And it was brought to the New Testament to say God is behind the gospel in all of these different ways. Jonathan, lessons learned from the laying on of hands in relation to healing from this segment.
0: While the literal laying on of hands was sometimes used to bring healing, it obviously was not necessary for miraculous healing to occur again we see that this physical action is used to deepen the understanding and appreciation of those who receive the gift of healing
1: so it's there for a purpose but it's not there as a necessity and we've got to get that straight when we take a look at it and say where does it apply with us it was there for a purpose not there for as a necessity we have to keep all of this in very clear order so the power of miraculous healing is beyond us here and now. In New Testament times, the laying on of hands helped that power to be understood.
0: With all of this said, is laying on of hands something we should do to authenticate the authority of fellow Christians?
1: Well, this New Testament practice was not very common, this authenticating the authority of fellow Christians. When it did take place, It seemed to be in very specific circumstances and for very specific reasons. What we need to observe here is the what and the why of the laying on of hands and then see what the lesson is and what direction our instruction should go. So we want to be very careful and very focused in this final segment as we look at the laying on of hands in relation to authority.
2: And we're going to look at two unique situations. The first is the brotherhood at Antioch laying hands on Paul and Barnabas at the start of Paul's first missionary journey. And second, Paul transferring his work to Timothy near the end of Paul's life. So let's start with Antioch. The New Testament laying on of hands was occasionally used, just occasionally, as a symbol of the unified conferring of authority, meaning approving and passing on of authority to specific individuals. And this is similar to that appointing of deacons that we discussed earlier. And so we'll pick this up in Acts thirteen two to 3.
0: While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So this
1: is the beginning of the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. And if you notice, it says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. He had not even been proven yet to be that real strong authority. He was still being tested by by the brotherhood. But so we have this, this setting apart through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, He, Saul, or Paul, and Barnabas were being sent out to establish churches in the Brotherhood in Antioch—I'm sorry, in the Brotherhood in Antioch—were clearly showing their support and blessing through this laying on of hands.
2: So this is a formal commissioning of them saying, yes, go on and take this message. And just to note that this is the second time we see hands on Paul, because remember, Ananias first laid hands on him to heal his blindness when he was called Saul— here again, he's getting hands laid on him, now for a different purpose, to go out and spread the gospel.
1: Yeah, and so that's, that's important. Paul has experienced the laying on of hands personally a couple of different times, and it's to confer that these two individuals were going to go out on a missionary journey to set up churches. This is something that's new and different, and again, needed the clarity to say, this is the will of God. And the laying on of hands was a very outward way to say, this is how I'm going to spread my gospel, you know, a message from from God through Jesus. Mm
2: -hmm. So the second unique situation is three examples of the laying on of hands in connection with Timothy. So Paul begins his first letter to Timothy with a focus on his special calling of service.
1: So now this first scripture is not about laying on of hands, but it's showing Paul's focus on Timothy being faithful to that which he is called to do. The next the next two scriptures we'll be focusing on laying out of hands. But this is kind of an introductory scripture at the beginning of the first letter to Timothy. Jonathan, 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19.
0: This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience which shall have which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith.
1: So you notice there's a foreshadowing of Timothy's role by saying the prophecies previously made concerning you. But you notice how the Apostle Paul is insistent that Timothy always remain focused and diligent. He's basically saying you've had, you have something special working within you, something different than most, but even you can lose your faithfulness if you don't focus on it. Anyone can lose what they're given if they are careless that's the message to the from the apostle paul to timothy and timothy we will see was going to play a massive massive role as christianity would continue
2: you know i never saw that he suffered sh- you could suffer shipwreck in regard to your faith can you imagine if your faith was shipwrecked how lost you'd be
1: yeah yeah you're drowning. It's
2: just a yeah, really interesting way to put that. So Paul gets more specific later in his letter. Uh, that's 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16. Here's the first example where laying on of hands is mentioned in connection with Timothy.
0: Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself in an example of those who believe. Until I come... Give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Now here, presbytery means uh, either elders or apostles, either way by some authority. Continuing, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that the progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teachings. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you.
1: So Paul is being very specific. This is near the end of the first letter to Timothy. And he's saying the gift of prophecy was used in relation to Timothy and the role that would be set before him to maintain what the apostle Paul had started. So The apostle is saying, you have this spiritual gift that was bestowed upon you, and this was the age of gifts, and it was bestowed upon you by those in authority. So it's something very serious, and it's something uh, that is very real, and you must live up to that. It's going to take work, you have to pay attention, you have to be focused, but the laying on of hands showed that Timothy was playing a very, very important role. Well, what, what, what role would this be? Let's go further on uh, in, in, to, to get to the next example. Go ahead, Julie.
2: So here's the second example of laying out of hands in connection with Timothy. Here Paul concludes his letter to first, uh, first Timothy with the same focus he began, which was you, Timothy— are called to a serious level of responsibility within the flock. So be wise. And we listen to this at 1 Timothy 5, 20 to 22.
0: Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily, and thereby sharing responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. So, well, go ahead. Rick, uh, it's interesting here. Paul is saying, know them well, Timothy, before you
1: do lay your hands on them. And he's also saying, don't give people work that they're not cut out to do. So we've got these two aspects put in place, but again, the apostle is, is exhorting Timothy be strong in the right things only. Don't let your emotions get the best of you. Don't let circumstances override you. Don't let your age get in the way. Make sure you are scripturally sound in anything and everything that you do because your role is deeply important in the gospel.
2: Here's the third example of laying on of hands in connection with Timothy. So in Paul's last letter before he's executed, He again reminds Timothy of the depth of responsibility he was given. That's 2 Timothy 1, 5 to 8.
0: For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power
1: of God. Now, this, of course, is the last letter that Paul writes to Timothy. It's the last letter he writes, period. He's going to die soon. And what we have is him reminding Timothy that I laid my hands upon you because you— are really important to the work of the gospel. And so you see. okay, why the laying on of hands? Paul's reminding Timothy to be strong in his absence, to fearlessly lead in his absence, to carry the torch of the gospel, whatever the cost, in his absence. He's reminding Timothy, I'm leaving. My course, my my time is done. Yours, my son, my spiritual son, is beginning. And the laying on of hands was to take what was given to this great apostle, the Apostle Paul, to show that he was conferring much of that responsibility onto the shoulders of Timothy. It was a very explicit picture.
2: So you see why I said this was a very unique uh, example. Yes. You know, this is not something that happens very often. This is something that the Apostle Paul transferred his whole work. That's a big deal. It's it a is. One, a one-time deal.
1: Right, right. and it, And it's from an apostle— to his predecessor, to, to, to his mm-hmm. successor, rather. So it is passing on the work from that apostle on. Now, do we see Timothy doing that to anybody else? No, we don't. Okay? We need to understand that, just like you said, Julie, this is a very unique circumstance that has to do with the apostle, his authority, and what he was doing in terms of setting Timothy up to be able to keep the gospel up and running. So, so Jonathan, as we begin to wrap this up, lessons learned from laying on of hands in in, in relation specifically to Timothy and, and, and to Paul himself and to authority.
0: While the literal laying on of hands was sometimes used to confer authority, it seems to be only when there was a new development of spiritual direction. Paul's first missionary journey and Timothy's special responsibility to step in
1: when Paul died are sober examples of this. So, as we look at this 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 whole discussion on the laying on of hands let's let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 the, therefore leaving the elementary teaching about Christ let's press on to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works like i want to pause there the dead works were the works of the law the apostle is saying to the jewish christians leave the law behind you are christian now you have Dedicated, you have consecrated yourselves to following the Lord Jesus, you have God's Spirit, you have to leave behind the very basic things. You understand repentance. You understand faith. You understand the resurrection of the dead. You understand judgment. And you understand what the laying on of hands showed us. It showed us that the authority of God's work is now transferred onto christianity fully and completely in every way that's what happened with this laying on of hands it was the it was the transferring to the christian work away from judaism the jewish christians needed to understand that and we need to know that that was the primary use of the laying on of hands that's what it was there to show us so let's begin to wrap this up then
2: Okay, so overall, it sounds like the laying on of hands reference to the Hebrew Christians is revealed to be the doctrine of solemnly recognizing and following the will and the leading of God through Jesus. So each and every use of this action that we've seen has to do with the Apostles or those directly related to them. And so this action was to, as you've said, really affirm the God-honoring growth of the gospel. The New Testament Christian applications of laying on of hands shows up in three ways. One, healing. Two, imparting the gift of the Holy Spirit. And three, conferring authority.
0: And based on those three points, Julie, one, we don't live at the age of gifts. Laying on of hands for the Christian is inappropriate. That's not our job. Two, we don't impart the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. This comes from God through Jesus when we dedicate our lives to him. And three, the Bible teaches that we are to raise our hand in electing spiritual leaders from within our congregations. So So let's, oh, go
2: ahead. No, no. I was going to ask our theme question again. Should Christians be practicing laying on of hands, and is it wrong if we do? And I'm going to add one sentence of something that I learned in studying for this. There's no scriptural indication that laying on of hands was to be perpetually observed by Christians for any purpose. Right. So should we be doing this, but is it wrong if we do?
1: Okay. We shouldn't be doing this. And so the question is, is it wrong if we do? Well, here's the thing. If we are doing this to mimic what the apostles did, to do what they did, then yes, that is not appropriate. Why? Because we don't have the scriptural guidance to show us to do it. We've gone through all of these examples, and we can see that it's limited. However, if we want to lay hands on someone in a very different way, by way of encouraging and supporting and helping and and, co-laboring and helping being a part of their lives, that's appropriate. That's not called laying on of hands. That's called encouragement. We talked about the, the, the healing power of touch, and that's kind of where that f- fits into, into play. So no, laying on of hands is not for us today because the gospel has been established for thousands of years. The, the authority of the gospel has been established for thousands of years. It's already in place. We now need to carry it forward. So finally, While we don't have the authority to be laying on hands, we certainly do have the authority to uphold and verify the God honoring work of the brotherhood related to the gospel. This is subtly shown to us, again by the Apostle Paul, when it was clear that his ministry was mainly to the Gentiles and Peter's ministry was mainly to Jewish Christians. This is a wonderful scripture. Galatians 2 9.
0: And recognizing The grace that has been given to me, James and Peter and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised.
1: So when you see that they're given the right hand of fellowship, what does that mean? It's not the laying on of hands, but it's the extending of the hand. It's the imposition to say, you're doing the work in that area, I'm doing the work in this area we are doing the same work and we are in agreement. We are supporting one another because it's the work of Jesus Christ to spread the gospel everywhere we possibly can. So while we don't have the laying on of hands, folks, what we do have is the co-laboring of our hands together so that we can work together, having been given the authority of God's spirit to preach the gospel, to set up the churches, to encourage, to, to teach, to grow, to develop, to help others to mature, to walk with each other in trial. That's where the, 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 the working together of our hands comes into play. Laying on of hands, no, not now. But the working together of our hands, absolutely. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at christianquestions.com. Big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions and your favorite podcast channels, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Next week, is God's wrath stronger than his love? Is God's wrath stronger than his love? Part one. Talk to you then.